Year's Eve Eve. Thank you all for letting me share with you this morning. Um, I just want to tell you a story as I get started, a little personal story. As a young teenager, I wanted to try to find a way to fit in. I wasn't academically gifted, and I certainly wasn't athletic. But I decided to take a risk and try out for the girls' track team. This was a stretch for someone who always lost in the 50-yard dash. One day during tryouts, it was raining, so we had to move inside for the afternoon. The coach told us to go into the gym and practice gymnastics. Still trying to fit in, I began to try some gymnastics stuff. Now, did I mention I'm not athletic in any way? Trying to show off my athletic prowess, I joined in with the girls who were diving and rolling over some of the other girls. Let me just say, that's the day that my athletic career ended. I broke my nose in the dive. What can I say? I have, I have unusual talents. What began with a desire to fit in ended with a nice talk from the coach about how I wasn't quite right for the track team. I grasped at something that was so far outside of my realm just to try to fit in. But I know I'm not the only one who has tried to grasp at something outside of my reach. Many of you sitting here today have been in the same position. Maybe you didn't end up with a broken nose while trying out for the track team. But you've tried to figure out your place in this world. In the process, you may have looked for something that was never yours to attain. Perhaps you've been like the woman who wanted to try to find the perfect husband. She was very successful in business and had many achievements. But the one thing that seemed to be out of her reach was the perfect husband. So she began to search for the man that would complete her. She met men in various cities, but after a time, she would realize that something just wasn't right and that would make them less than desirable candidates for marriage. Finally, she met a man who she was sure would be just right. She wanted to spend the rest of her life with him. There was only one catch. He was looking for the perfect woman. Thus, he too was out of her grasp. See, there seem to be many things that are always outside of our grasp. We're all in a search for something. We have a sense of entitlement. If we're good, if we work hard, if we do the right things, we should be rewarded. There's an expectation of getting and having the best. Being asked to settle for anything less is beneath us. Our culture encourages us to do whatever we need to do to succeed. Acceptance and identity are based on the appearances that we give off for those around us. Society provides the labels, and we do whatever we have to so that we can fit into the mold that it dictates. In a world that tells us to go for the gusto, there is little thought about pushing our needs or wants to a place other than first. Even church culture falls into this trap. Look perfect and strive for external perfection. It's interesting that our culture sees certain character traits as negative or weak. However, these are the traits that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi about. 
He told them that taking on these aspects of character actually brings us closer to becoming more Christ-like, to becoming who God wants us to be. He went on to say that this attitude would cause us to be more Christ-like and then said that we, those of us who are following after Christ, should have the same type of attitude that Jesus did. I often find my mind focused on many things that I can't control. Perhaps some of you do that. I get consumed with a me focus. I'm stubborn, I'm hard-headed, and I don't like to submit. And not one of the men in the Pierce House better say amen. Perhaps we need to be better able to understand the mindset that Jesus had. If we are to have this same type of attitude... We need to know what it looks like in order to know how to have it. So we're going to start digging into what Paul told the Philippian church. I'm going to get you to go ahead and open up your Bibles. If you'll flip over to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, that'll be our focus this morning. <coughs> Suppose what Paul was really telling the church in Philippians 2, 6 through 11 is that we already have the mind of Christ, if we've entered into a relationship with him. In order to live this life, maybe what we're really striving for, what we value the most, what we think we're entitled to, is what's keeping us from the full experiences that the perfect love of God has to offer us. Realizing this, we find that we are suddenly faced with choices that look completely different to us. It is impossible to begin to understand what a relationship with Christ can look like without an attitude change. When we back up to Philippians 2, go right back to verse 5, we find that Paul tells us to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what kind of mind are we talking about here? What type of attitude did Paul have or want the Philippian church and us as we sit here today to have? The message I believe that Paul wanted us to understand is that if we're going to be Christ followers in the truest sense of the word, we must have an attitude shift. Beyond that, he is telling us to follow after this command in a loving manner, the manner in which Jesus followed. Paul is reinforcing here what he had already told the Roman church. To have the mind of Christ requires a transformation. A renewing of the mind is what he said to the Roman church, and we find that in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is not a one-time event but it continues on daily. We often think of renewal as something like we may renew our driver's license or a vehicle tag. But unlike going to the DMV and being confronted with a less than desirable situation, this renewal can be both necessary and transforming. It's not a process that leaves us shaking our heads and wondering what we must do. So if we look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, we'll begin to understand a little bit more about the mind of Christ that we are to seek. 
And there it says who, meaning Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, but found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus existed in the form of God. Jesus himself confirmed this as he preached and taught to the crowds. He didn't call himself a name that indicated that he was aspiring to be something that he wasn't. The word that Paul used for existed here is the word that indicates that something that was before is continuing. Tells us a lot about his nature. His nature cannot change. It cannot be altered. And it is always the same. There's little in this world, as we know, that never changes. God himself alone fits this bill. So the existence of Jesus has always been as God. We don't understand what it means to always be the same. When I look back at my life, I don't see any year that's ever been the same as the year before. In the processes of the changes of my life, my character has changed. My nature is nothing like it was a few years ago. Unlike my nature and character, though, God's character and nature have never changed. When Jesus left heaven for earth, his unchangeable nature remained the same. This same Jesus did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. <coughs> Excuse me. And we talk a lot about equality in our society. We generally talk about it in the form of equal rights. If one person or group gets something, then the next person or group wants something of, of equal value. And they want to get the same treatment. But never do we find that our circumstances are always exactly the same because no two people and no two groups are exactly alike. So we work within the realm of things being similar. Such is not the case for Jesus. We have already seen that he is God. He is equal in all ways. There are many times when equality should be enforced even if the people or circumstances are not completely identical. People who work should receive equal pay for equal work, regardless of anything else. We find that when Title IX came into existence um, and it was signed into law in June of 1972, the intent was to provide a level playing field in many areas, including education. The idea was to try to reduce discrimination because of gender, one area that received a lot of attention because of Title IX has been sports, although the law did not specifically include anything about sports. Equality is very important to people, especially in the United States. <coughs> we demand equal rights. And yet, Jesus, who is equal with God, did not demand equality. He was willing to give up his equal rights. 
and get some water. Have any of y'all had colds, flu, sinuses these past few weeks? Okay, are they annoying? They leave us with a cough, don't they? <coughs> Let's talk about this equality a little bit more, though. Jesus did not see his equality with God as something to hold on to. This equality is priceless. It cannot be duplicated. It has a value that we cannot humanly understand. I want you to try to imagine the thing that you treasure the most. In the event of a predicted natural disaster, people are encouraged to pack up their valuables and move to a safer location. So we value many things. We value documents that can't be reproduced. We value jewelry. We value antiques. We value collectibles. Okay, we value shoes. We realize that we need to protect things because as originals, they cannot be duplicated. This is that equality that Jesus has with his Father. This equality entitled Jesus to hold on to his rights, his stuff, if you will. The original meaning of the word that we see here as grasped was to have possession of something that was obtained through theft or robbery. People who grasp at things may be trying to steal them. When a person steals another person's identity, we call it identity theft. They're trying to assume the identity of another person so that they can then use that identity to obtain what they would not be able to get, which would not otherwise belong to them. We find that is the same meaning of this word here, that taken by theft or robbery. It would be the same as Jesus taking on an identity that did not belong to him. But that's not what we see. He didn't have to use identity theft because the identity of God was already his. It already belonged to him. In no way was he trying to grasp or clutch or hold on to something that wasn't his. Maybe a way to understand this verse is something like this. Jesus, who has always been God, did not have to try to hold on to something which was equality with God through the means of force or thievery. He already owns it. It's already his. Now, I know that we're in winter and it's very cold, so I'm going to have to ask you to use your imagination, but imagine that you've been working outside on a hot day. Those of us who are not winter people would love this hot day. But imagine that you've been working outside and it's a very hot day. And you go inside the house and you find yourself a nice, tall glass of cold iced tea. Without taking a breath, you drain it dry. You, you drink every sip of it. There's not a drop left in the glass. The tea, the glass, everything is all gone. It's completely empty. You wipe off the condensation on the outside of the glass. Make sure you've emptied every single drop. This is the picture that we find when we look at Philippians 2, verse 7. When Jesus... Is we're told that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. There was nothing left. Jesus, the king of kings, had completely and totally emptied himself of his godship at this point. 
although he did not cease to be God. However, he took on a new nature. This human nature took priority over the God nature at this point. This doesn't mean that he entered into a sinful state as we do, but he still remained sinless in all of it. But in doing so, he set aside his deity and replaced it with a human nature. So he took on the form of a bondservant. To become a servant, one has to surrender their rights. He took on humiliation through the humiliation of the cross. Now, I do not surrender easily. Remember, I'm hard-headed. I have a sense of entitlement. I believe I have a right to do certain things. I can eat what I want, go where I want, do what I want, have what I want. And nobody has the right to take those from me. I deserve certain things. I work hard. I live right. I haven't broken any of the major commandments. Go to church regularly. Maybe slip a little money in the offering basket. I don't flip people off in traffic. Maybe I give a bottle of water to the homeless person out on the streets. So see, in my eyes, I look like I'm a good person. That I deserve it. Maybe you fill in your own blanks of what you think you deserve. We've all tried to hold on to our list of rights. If anyone tries to take anything away from us that we believe that we deserve to have, we'll fight to keep it. Why do other people get the good jobs and I don't? Why do other people stay well and maybe I'm sick? Why, why, why? We ask these questions. Maybe somebody hasn't been as good as I have, but they've gotten better. Why, why, why? At a reception that honored musician Sir Robert Mayer on his 100th birthday, elderly British socialite Lady Diana Cooper fell into a conversation with a friendly woman who seemed to know her well. Lady Diana's failing eyesight prevented her from recognizing her fellow guest until she peered more closely at the magnificent diamonds and realized that she was talking to Queen Elizabeth. Overcome with embarrassment, Lady Diana curtsied and stammered, Ma'am, oh ma'am, I'm sorry, ma'am. I didn't recognize you without your crown. It was so much Sir Robert's evening, the queen replied, that I decided to leave it behind. Queen Elizabeth had a right to wear her crown and be honored simply because of her position. But she put us, that position aside so that someone else might be honored. We need to know when we should put ourselves aside so that we can have the same mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is not about my rights and what I expect. It is the life of surrender. This humility of Jesus caused him to become like those he created, humanity. He set himself aside to come to earth in the likeness of men. Jesus, who made us in his likeness, had come to us in our likeness. In this likeness, he experienced all human needs and tendencies. By becoming human, he has become our God. He has gone this way before. He is not a God who cannot understand what we've gone through and what we experience. Through humility, Jesus left the throne of glory and came to earth in the likeness of men. He surrendered to his father's request. He gave up that which was rightfully his. 
He didn't come to earth kicking and screaming while all the while demanding his way. He humbly came. So that should have been enough. But not so for this sinful world. So his obedience went further and he stooped lower. Philippians 2.8 says that being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I know at Christmas season we're supposed to be talking about, you know, Jesus being born, the manger, these kinds of things. But that manger is of no effect if not for the cross. So he had to go to the cross. Perhaps you can recall a time when you felt humiliated. Maybe you described it as as a feeling like wanting to crawl under something because you felt lower than the earth. Well, the word that we use for humble comes from the Latin word humilis, which means low. In turn, that word becomes humus or earth. So when we feel such humiliation that it really does make us feel lower than the dirt on the earth, we're correctly using the origins of the word. But humiliation is not humility. Humiliation is something that happens because of an action or condition that is generally caused at the hands of a person, sometimes our own selves. Humiliation can lead to humility and surrender. Humility is required for us to have that true relationship with God. It is us giving up control. Humility is required for us if we want to put a smile on God's face. Then we need to begin to walk in humility. Begin to live out that surrendered life. Begin to turn the control that we think that we have over to him. See, Paul wasn't telling the Philippians this just so that they would remember what Jesus went through, although it's the most important thing that they needed to know. He's also telling them, as he does us, how we need to live and how we can live with and among each other. Jesus put his personal rights aside. Obedience to God means that we put aside our own agendas for others and him. Being obedient means that we do more than just listen to the words. We must be willing to follow the example that Jesus set before us by becoming obedient. God is never going to ask us to die for the sins of the entire world. See, there's not one of us in here that's a spotless, blameless, sacrificial lamb. He wouldn't ask us to do what's outside of his realm. However, he does call us to a life of obedience that is sacrificial. Warren Wiersbe tells of a story of a missionary who was going through some booths at a religious festival in Brazil. And among the booths, there were all kinds of booths of tents of trinkets, but he saw one that had a sign on the top of it, and it said, Cheap Crosses. What I want to say to you today is the cross of Calvary was not cheap. It cost Jesus everything. The cross that we carry should not be cheap either. It must be a life of obedience that leads to our sacrifice. A life of obedience, a life of sacrifice is a journey that begins with surrender and ends with exultation. A little over a year ago, um, 
as well as, as other people who are involved in, in pierced ministries, experienced one of the, the greatest seasons of highs and then the greatest season of lows. After spending a lot of time renovating a property that would house the ministry, it was ripped out from under us in a very short period of time, overnight. So I questioned the direction that God was leading us to. We had, had, we had sacrificed everything to be obedient to God. The lows at that period left me nearly emotionally bankrupt. But see, the story didn't end. I may have questioned the direction that God was leading us, but I didn't question God and who he is. So the story didn't end. Within a few days, God had provided us with a much better ministry home. Many of you have been there. As we prepare to celebrate our five-year anniversary next Sunday afternoon, and we also celebrate on January 27th the graduation of one of the first residents in the new home, we've experienced some of the greatest blessings ever. See, God used all of those experiences to show his glory. The highs and lows that I experienced really don't compare in any way to the sacrifice that Jesus had. But I can somewhat understand some of this and some of what Paul was talking about as he finished off this portion in the letter to the Philippians with verses 9 through 11. See, because I see the position here that God has given to Jesus. And he says, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I'm going to tell you what, I don't want to wait until that day to bow at his name. I want this to be the day, this day and every day forward. See, on that day, there will be no greater position, no higher position than that of Jesus. Nothing and no one will ever compare to him. The great news, though, is that we really don't have to wait to honor and glorify him. Our lives can bear out the cross of Christ. The mind of Christ can begin to walk so that we walk with him in that same obedience. Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I'm hearing about this Jesus, but I really don't have a relationship with him like that. I'm going to tell you what, exalting him and honoring him through your own obedience, maybe they've never been a part of your life, but today that can change. If you're ready to make that decision to begin to serve him, we're ready to walk you through it. This would make for an amazing end of this year as you begin 2013 as a new creature in Christ. But maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you've been busy living life and missed out on so much of going into that deeper relationship with him. So here's a challenge for you today. Maybe you're still trying to figure out where that Christ-mindedness, that Christ-likeness fits in. I promise you it's not out of your reach. You may be thinking... You're right. Today, it is time to have a real attitude change. 
Today, why not step out in faith and confidence that God will provide for you, that God will get, do for you as much as you will allow him to do by walking in that life of obedience with him. In this end, we also want to help you to walk through this. But let me tell you, regardless of where you are, seeking after God is never, ever wrong. You don't have to wait until a time in the future. We talk so much about going into a new year and I'm going to change this at the new year. I'm going to change that at the new year. There is never a wrong moment to step out in obedience to Christ. So wherever you are, seeking him is not wrong. You don't have to wait for the future. You don't have to wait until a future time to confess it and to honor him. You can make this happen today. There are many of us here that would be thrilled to help you as you begin this process. Let me pray this morning. Father God, we are so grateful for who you are. Thankful that Jesus came and has taught us how to have that mindset. Lord, we fall short so often, but you've made us in your image, and you want us to walk in that image. And I know that I know that I know that only true victory comes from walking in that life with you. So, Father, for anyone sitting here today that may not know you, may not have that relationship, I pray that they won't walk out of that building without that change. I pray for those that are sitting here today and saying, it is time for change. God, I pray that that change would be driven completely by that desire to walk with you in all things and all ways. Help us to be who you would have us to be in your image, made by you, loving like you love, walking like you walk. In Jesus' name, amen.